Today we're going to have a special guest on, and we're going to have a little little chat about archery and and some game calls. Hi, my name is Roy Canterbury. I'm your host today on Archer Talk 101, and we have uh, uh, Sean on the line with us today, and we're going to have him introduce himself and tell a little bit of something about himself, how he got started in archery, and what he's going on. Uh, welcome to the show, Sean. Thank you. Uh, yeah, my name is uh, Sean Kochi. Uh, I'm the owner of uh, Mill Creek Valley Game Calls. Um, I got started in um, archery uh, probably when I was about 10 or 11 years old. Uh, started with the uh, old old style bows. So uh, kind of an antique or, or, or an older person in that retrospect. But uh, uh, yeah, that's that's where I started at. And And what... What age did you start at? Uh, you, you I think had, it was a it was 10, 11, 12, 10, somewhere, 11. somewhere around in there is when I started taking interest in, you know, actually learning to shoot a, a, a bow, you know. Yeah, I started about that same age, but that was back in the 60s when I started. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I got you. Yeah, you're, you're a little bit older than me, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I started like, you know, recurve, um, learning to naturally shoot and that kind of stuff because um when i grew up uh you know my family we didn't we didn't have a lot of money um so you know it wasn't like you could go out and like buy a compound bow or something so we you know sort of had like a junky recurve and, and just learned to you know shoot different stuff um and really focusing on shooting uh that kind of stuff so that's pretty much what i i started with yeah when i started your, your option was recurve or longbow that was it there was no compounds you know it was about yes. 10 years later when the compound started in the 70s when they started and, and you know i picked those up and then um, i still have recurves that i shoot but my my very first recurve was a 25 pound fiberglass ben pearson well um, i still have it i won't shoot it because the fiberglass is starting to split a little bit but you oh, know yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't even, there's a string on it, but I won't string it up just because, you know, it's worth more to me as as uh, just kind of a, a a memory piece than it is to actually go out and shoot because I do have a, a PSE recurve that I go out and shoot, which is set up for bow fishing. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, I did, my dad had an old uh, a, um, Parsons compound when they first come out, and I remember that was his his bow. Uh, like I said, I had to recurve, um, and then I finally like graduated to like a compound by the time I was like, I think I was 15, 16 years old. And then when I started doing a compound bow, that's, that's where I really, um, was able to, and here in Pennsylvania, they didn't have, uh, the antler restriction until like 25 years ago. So when I was younger, anything with a three inch spike was legal. And my first buck that I killed uh, with a compound was a six point that it just happened to be um, up in the uh, middle of nowhere. And I was with my dad and I remember, you know, shooting it for the first time and then uh, running, jumping down off, of, basically out of the tree stand and say, dad, I shot one. I can't believe it. You know, and uh, <laughs> let, let them know that, uh, you know, I killed it. And it was the first time at 15 years old that um, I actually started to figure out the rut of how, you know, you could grunt to the deer and, you know, use sense and, and, you know, that kind of stuff. And, uh, w once I, I 
saw that, I was hooked. Yeah, it, it's kind of interesting when you get out there with the call. I remember one time I was out with my my son. He wasn't old enough to hunt yet, but I had him all camoed up and and everything in there. And I says, here, here's the call. You get to use it. Get, you know, with a deer, you're, only three reactions you're going to get out of them. They're going to ignore it. They're going to come to you or run away. And yes. it, it doesn't matter who's making the call. And I tell him, you know, if they're walking in, just don't call while they're walking in. They're already coming what we want. We don't want them to track them up to us in the tree. You know, I, I, had a, I was in a, a, a stand and I had, uh, I think a ladder stand and I put up a hang on stand that you can get to right off the ladder stand and climbed up, strapped him in and, and away we went. And that, and that, you know, that's another revolution that uh, we talk about when I first started um, archery hunting. What, what I first started doing the archery hunting was, was, um, uh, the different um, tree stands. Uh, my dad, I remember us going to a sportsman show. I, I believe it was the one in Harrisburg, a real big one. And uh, we got the big man tree stand. And I always had the loggy bayou old ones, you know. And then yeah. before that, the loggy bayous, we had the, uh, it was like a wooden platform. I called them the death traps. I mean, I don't know how many guys got hurt off of climbing trees with them or slipping down the tree or, you know, just, falling you know the the plywood break in or it's crazy yeah you know the the wood is is nice because it's kind of permanent but after so long you're not sure it's safe you know and, and i've seen some stands that, that were unsafe to even get into yeah exactly but uh we, we've come a long way with a lot of the uh, technology and stuff now but uh it, it's it's uh way better um, like I said, the old, even the old loggy bayous, I remember there was, um, some of them that you, you know, um, certain trees, you just have to watch because that metal band or the, uh, uh, the rubber that was on the metal band, it would slip down a tree, you know, certain trees, uh, like maples and stuff, you know, you had to sort of get those ones with the good bark, like a good cherry or something or an oak, yeah. you know, and then, yeah, you, uh, you, felt you, a little you bit definitely want them sliding down. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, and, and I think we've all done it uh give you that second scare you know give you a heart attack but yeah uh definitely yeah i always used hang-ons or now recently i started using ladder stands uh the hang-ons they're, they're nice you, you know go screwing in the steps and and you know I, i've got it's like some of the trees like locusts is just near impossible to screw them in without pre-drilling a hole so I used to take a battery powered drill and pre-drill the holes and then put the pegs in and, you know, just, just to get them going in. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. I, I've seen some where they, they put the stance up and you're climbing up the peg and then uh, you basically just bang your head on the bottom of the tree stand. It's like, how are you going to get in here? You know, and then they just kind of climb up over <laughs> it. And it's like, <laughs> like, yeah, Dude, definitely. You're, you're asking to fall out of that tree stand. And, yes. And, and, you know, that's that's more more bow hunters are hurt getting in or getting out of their tree standing or anything else. Yes. Yes, that's a number one, uh, you know, backs, shoulders, you know, you name it. Um, I sort of want to circle back and, and sort of tell you about, like, how I sort of got into the outdoor industry oh. with the, with the game call stuff. And oh yeah, that'd be uh, good. That, that kind of stuff that, uh, you know, we, we were talking about earlier. Um, 
my uncle um, was one of the Quaker Boy team members, one of the originals, and I'm, I'm sure that your audience is well aware of Quaker Boy game calls. Um, you know, oh, they're yeah. basically on, you know, uh, leading, running at their time, uh, excellent calls that everybody used, you know. Um, and my uncle, um, you know, I would get a, you know, test some products out and that kind of stuff, you know, and just going to shows with them when they would do that kind of stuff. And um, then finally, as I got a little bit older, I started, uh, I worked for another game call company and um, they were here from Pennsylvania and uh, would go to shows with them. And I just really loved the industry and uh, really the innovation kind of stuff. And, and let me do a little bit of background on myself of why I even sure. did. Um, I'm, uh, I was in the military um, and uh, uh, when I came back home from overseas, every, um, I had uh, post-traumatic stress. And I couldn't figure out, well, you know, and I was getting into law enforcement because that's, that's still what I do uh, is a uh, job. I'll retire here in a couple of years, but um, sort of helped me um, deal with a lot of the stressors and hidden stressors of the job was I met an old Vietnam vet to where I live at now. Um, he's recently passed, but uh, he sort of got me into woodworking to, to deal with things, you know, and he says, well, what do you like to do? He says, um, like the, I, I see you're struggling because, you know, Vietnam, I don't think most of those guys, uh, they never were welcomed home. A lot of them had a lot of rough stuff. Um, you know, like the World War II vets, the Vietnam vets, Korean War vets, those guys didn't really have a, a great structured, um, how do I want to say, uh, like a structured group, people they could talk to about things that they had done, seen, and they sort of relied on each other to help through the process. And that's basically what he did. He took me underneath his arm and said, Hey, uh, do you like the outdoor industry? Um, uh, you know, what, what do you like? And I said, well, you know, I, I like inventing stuff. That's what sort of, you know, my hobby, you know, I like to hunt and, you know, and he knew that I was like really big into the Turkey and deer hunting. And he's like, Hey, um, you know, I work with woods myself and I'm like, Oh, he's like, why don't you come over to the shop and show you some stuff. And, I just saw some of the stuff he was doing and all of a sudden I just thought to myself, well, man, I've been working for all these outdoor industry companies and, you know, doing seminars and, and that kind of stuff. And I said, boy, I, I really would like to get into this. So I went to my dad, my dad had already owned a business and, you know, I have a, a background of, of uh, going to college and stuff before I went to the military, um, you know, a little bit of business sense. And then I said to my dad, I said, Hey, I'm going to, try this out. I said, would you want to go into it with me? He says, no. He says, I don't, I have no inkling of wanting to do that. He's like, you know, cause at that time my dad was ready to retire himself. You know, he was only a couple years out and I was like, all right. So I went to my mom of all people. <laughs> I said to my mom, I said, Hey mom, I said, listen, I said, I know this is going to sound crazy, but, uh, dad doesn't want to do it. Doesn't think that it'll, it'll work. It won't go. You know, would you, like to start a business venture and she's like okay what do you want to do and i said well i want to go into the game call business she's like i don't know anything about it i said you don't need to know anything about it and she's like what do you mean i says, you do dad's books and everything else and you you know how to do all this stuff that's all i need but i need you to do that you know i can do everything else i said i just need you to take care of the money side and she was like 
well, yeah, I can do that. So we took out our first loan and, uh, you know, bought the equipment and stuff like that. And the rest is history. I mean, we're almost on 15 years. It'll uh, be this spring. So, um, we've been, we've been doing really well at it. And, you know, um, I started doing call making contests, you know, for deer turkey calls. Um, I have a revolutionary deer call that, uh, that I came up with it's the inhale exhale, um, deer call. Um, I was really, really intrigued with the deer's vocalization of trying to get it perfectly right. So I sort of, uh, I went to the outdoor industry and sort of like really seeing what they had, like the plastic reeds. And, you know, a lot of these game call companies had these plastic reeds that as soon as you would blow them, get some, uh, you know, like, like breath or whatever on them, you know, a little bit of humidity and it was cold out. They would freeze up. Can, can you relate in any, any fashion? If you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. hoo, 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 and then it sounds like a duck call. If it finally breaks loose or scares <laughs> the game or, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. I, 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 I finally said, you know, like, we got to come up with something. So I started um, researching and, you know, here again, Roy, I'm not the smartest block in the tool. I was no like brainchild in college or high school or whatever. I just was the guy that squeaked by, but here again, get a kid interested or get a person interested in something they love and they'll never work a day in their lives. Right. So here I am uh, just like, Juices are flown in the brain. I'm like, what am I going to do? And I'm like, so I start going back to the business of my dad. My dad owns a fire. He, he owned a fire extinguisher business in Pittsburgh, the city of Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And what I learned was brass does not freeze. That's why you can set those fire extinguishers, you know, when, when they're outside, you know, like you go to a gas pump and they sit there all winter, you know, there's a, uh, chemical ones they just sit outside and, and the reason that is is because there's a brass stem in there and it has the brass guts that won't freeze it up so i start thinking um and i start working with this other uh, parts company and came up with a uh a channel that was number one was metal and then number two it has a mylar reed to it but i wanted to make sure that it wouldn't stick so what I did was I was able to put uh, in in the reed a brass button, must I say, and then like brass so that it wouldn't freeze. And from there, um, we went on with an inhale exhale deer call. You it's pretty much hands free. You can put it in your mouth. You can exhale out, and you get the buck run. And then you inhale you get the doe bleat now originally the call did have where you could adjust the reed there is there was a um i put a gum band on it that you could adjust you know for the you wanted a deeper sound and all that kind of stuff what i've learned right. with people is the more that you leave things open like that and they play with them things get broke and you're replacing calls so i was like you know what i need to internally house this so that people, can, you know, you set the read, I set the read myself, and then you just let it alone and let people, you know, have that buck grunt and then let them have the doe bleat. You know, the more that you let people mess with a call, the less, the less things, you know, 
and I also came up with the method when I was in the Marine Corps was the KISS method. We always said, keep it simple, stupid. Right. So I sort of went back to the original uh, thought process there of the keep it simple, stupid. And we house it in a walnut barrel and it does the buck grunt and it does the doe bleat. Inhale, exhale, all in one call. And I just went with that and, and we've sold a pal. Uh, matter of fact, a kid that I went to high school with, and I'll, I'll guarantee a lot of your listeners know who I'm talking about. And, and I've done show with the bone collectors uh, like Michael Waddell and all those different guys doing seminars. I went to school with a kid named Chris Kiefer, him and his brother, Casey Kiefer. They were in that uh, project dropped. And they also do a couple other shows like where they're dropped in Alaska. And then they do a couple of whitetail shows. They're on a sportsman's and outdoor channel. Um, I sent one to my buddy, Chris, and I said, hey, Chris, tell me, you know, you're, you're a deer expert. You, you know, it, what do you think of this call? Do you think it's closed? Do you think that? So I sent him one, and uh, I hadn't heard anything from him like six months, and I'm like, oh, boy, you know, maybe he thought it sucked, and he, he threw it away and just, you know, or, or whatever. And uh, next thing I know, um, you know, those guys sort of go, uh, covert on you, you know, and you don't hear anything for a while because they're out busy hunting day in right. and day out, you know, and I sort of forgot about it. And all of a sudden I get this huge text from him. He's like, Sean, you freaking knocked it out of the park, dude. I got to show you this, um, uh, video. Uh, we're going to put it on YouTube, dude. And it's just, it, it's incredible. He says, I'm out in Kansas. He says, it's not the biggest buck that I ever killed. He's like, but it's the coolest buck that I ever killed. <laughs> He's like, um, and by the way, it's, it's on YouTube. It's, it's, it's called Mr. November. Okay. Cause that's what I, I, I named the deer call was Mr. November because most of your bucks come in and rut. I mean, sometimes it's late October, but majority of the bucks across the United States come in and in November. So it's the Mr. November right. grunt call. And like I said, he, big huge explanation and i watched the video and uh you can clearly see this buck's walking away you know and and he he takes out this uh takes out my my deer call and he's like and this thing just turns around and i mean as soon as you see it you're like this thing's a stud and it just turns (laughs) around comes back into right into bow range and just like you know releases an arrow on it and then he kills it and then he's like sending me all these pictures of it and you know from a standpoint you know being a hunter yourself, but to actually create something with your own hands, your own mind, and actually get to see it work in the outdoor industry with somebody that's as big as him, um, it's just been amazing. I mean, I put it into a call making. See, what, what happens is the NWTF and um, what they do is they, they, make, they have these call making contests. And um, you can put calls in. They have deer calls, turkey calls, mainly turkey calls, but you can put deer calls in. And uh, I, I put this thing in there, and it placed a uh, couple times second, third in the world. And uh, I'm like, you know, you know, you had it like with the sounds, but you know, really for sending it to somebody and it it actually out in the field and you're seeing the production, it it was just amazing. And uh, I mean, it's just been a it's been a journey from there once we knew that and then um there's the outdoor news that we had um then i started making uh, like i said with the turkey calls and that kind of stuff um i got interviewed and we were in outdoor life at one time and it just it snowballed from there so 
I'm really happy to be a deer hunter, but not only, you know, but also be in the outdoor industry of the leading uh, technology, I guess, you know, and, and just, I love everything about the outdoors. I love giving seminars. I love uh, creating calls that the normal consumer that uh, can use. And there's nothing more satisfied for a guy like me that has post-traumatic stress that was having a hard time be able to come back and relate to people, um, not only hunting, but telling these success stories, um, you know, and, and just going from there. I mean, just, just everything it's, it, it's, it's just been awesome, you know, to where some people wouldn't even take a chance on you when, when you wanted to start a company and then you, you took that step and, uh, you made it. So, um, I've, I, I would like to think that I've changed, you know, some way, a little bit of the hunting industry, but, uh, I mean, I'm just a small fraction of some of the bigger companies, but, uh, you know, I truly do enjoy it. Yeah. It, it sounds like there's a lot of, a lot of stuff in there. And there's, there's something to make in your own stuff like that. And, um, I know you mentioned, you know, woodworking and I do a lot of woodworking myself and, and here many years ago, I says, I'm going to make me some calls. So I'm, I started off with a duck call and, and, you know, just single read once. And I go into deer calls. In fact, the deer call I carry with me is one I made myself. And, and it just, it's just kind of fun to, to make them. And I've made several and sold several of them and, you know, but they're the, you know, the, uh, the plastic, you know, channels and the normal stuff, but, you know, being a single read, they don't freeze up quite as bad as, uh, you know, some of the double read ones. Mm-hmm. I gotcha. Yeah. I, um, that's one thing people have asked me, Hey, do you, why don't you get into duck calls? I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> so I do a crow call. I do a coyote howler. I said, I do a deer call and I got a lot of turkey calls. I said, the main thing was, is really, to be honest with you, was turkey hunting was my real love. And there's really only two things that I really have enough time for as far as hunting goes. And that's the archery in the fall and then fall turkey hunting and spring turkey hunting. It's really what I really have a lot of you know, time for anymore, yeah. you know, taking the kids out and stuff, having, I have two young daughters, so taking them out and they, they enjoy that too. So. No, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I can see getting into duck calls cause I've made, I made uh, quite a few of them and, and it's interesting, you know, with the same read, one call is going to sound different than the other call. It's exactly oh, yeah. read in all oh, of yeah. them. Yeah. And yeah. you know, I, I find it's got to do with what type of wood it is different densities woods you know tone mm. chambers are different as well as the shape you know different shape is going to give you different tone qualities and and i've had some that uh great feeder calls you could do them nice little soft coaxing feeder calls but if you're trying to do a hail call they just break over and they sound like you know they sound terrible and then other calls yeah. you can't do a feeder call on them to save your life but if you want to do that hail call holler at them from miles away it'll do it it's the same way. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. You know, well, what's and, different? <laughs> well, and, and and here's the other thing. Um, you know, you can a lot of people don't understand just by the glue that you use to glue some things together. I can change your sound altogether. Oh yeah, because it changes the character. Especially with a turkey call. I mean, yeah, definitely. Woods. Oh my. Um, 
I, I was fortunate enough to, to meet another person um, in my travels uh, that was friends with my uncles and those guys that used to do turkey calling back in the day. And his name was David Thielberg. And David knew Dee Dee Adams, which Dee Dee Adams was the original guy of what they call as a pot call or a turkey call, slate call, crystal call. Right. Um, and he then had his own – after Dee Dee died, um, David started his own call company. It was called Pop Calls, and it was Kielberg Outdoor Products. And one thing that stuck with me, you know, and you take a little bit from everybody you meet. Let's right. just say that, you, you know, like you said, you're a big archery person. You might meet Chuck Adams. You take a little bit from Chuck Adams. You take a little bit from Michael Waddell. You know, if you're having that conversation, everybody has something to teach. You just have to figure out. You know, what do you want to take out of it? Well, mine was David, and we've still been friends. We, we, we almost talk weekly. And what he said was, take your turkey calling or deer call to this level. And I said, okay, well, what are you talking about? He says, pretend it's a musical instrument. He said, your finest string guitars, your finest things. And, and really didn't get it at first. And I was like, what are, you, what, are you, what are you talking about, you know? And then I just started Google searching basically, um, you know, your guitars, your, you know, your finest wood pieces. And here I'm learning about exotics, exotic woods, exotic, you know, finishes, exotic, you name it, you know, uh, acoustically sound wood acoustically you know and i'm like wow this is like opening up a whole new parallel you know like before it was like okay we're going to start with our our maple our walnut you know our just american hardwoods you know american chestnut if you're able to find it without the blight uh hold the wormholes in it or you know and the next thing you know this complete window opens up and you're like wow exotics <laughs> once i open up the book on exotics like exotic woods look out i have changed sounds can get them better sometimes you'll laminate some of these exotic woods some you know what i mean and you sort of meld them together and there's a lot of trial and error with glues and and i I could go on and on but (laughs) what i what i truly found was is once you you go with these exotics um uh, i mean they're a lot more expensive i mean and you and you're you're catering to a different kind of people that want to buy expensive kind of wood stuff too. You know what I mean? It looks pretty, sounds pretty, you know, and then you have to learn about the exotic woods too. Uh, like I'll, I'll give you an example, Cocobolo. Okay. It's a pretty nice wood. Way. It's like a darker Brown. Yeah. You probably know what I'm talking about. Yep. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, great wood to work with. Don't inhale it. Make sure you're wearing right. a mask because that can cause cancer and every, you know, and, and it's really, uh, you know, sneezing and, 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 and irritants to the lungs. The other thing that I learned about Cocobolo is, is it's also poisonous to your skin. So uh, I wanted to make a deer crawl out of the, out of the Cocobolo, which you, if you use to touch your lip with it, you'll get these blisters and everything else all over them. So It'll work if you if you have a mouthpiece, but if you just put it straight to your lips, it can cause blistering and all kinds of different stuff. So, you know, really got to be careful with these uh, exotic woods. 
Right. Um, uh, just, just in, and that's trial and error. Um, I have a book with all the different kinds of uh, hardwoods and stuff in it. And then you have your Janka scale, the hardness of the, of, of, of the wood, uh, oh, yeah. learning that. And, and, and I mean, just, Oh, there's so much, you know, I just thought, Oh, we'll, we'll just get into, you know, we're making turkey calls. Okay. You know, and you could spend $5,000 in glues. You could five, you could spend a hundred thousand dollars on woods. Um, and right. then, and then getting the equipment that you need, you know, I mean, you can go low scale on your equipment. Like you could buy like a, uh, a Harbor freight, uh, lathe, or you can go buy, uh, you know, one of these, you know, $6,000 lathes, you, you know, I mean, it just, it all depends on what your comfort level is and, and, and what your expenditure is, you know, uh, for me, it was, I had to learn off the cheap stuff and then keep upgrading. Right. But, uh, yeah. I mean, for intricate workings and stuff, but man, I tell you what, what a journey though. I mean, I, like I said, I love the outdoor industry. I love just, you know, doing the seminars. I love, I love building the calls. I love going to the shows, love talking to the guys, um, and, and learning as much as you can, you know, uh, especially, from other professionals or, or just average everyday guys like us that, uh, you know, that, that hunt and, and go out there and, uh, you know, uh, there's big controversy right now. And I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but they changed, uh, we're talking deer hunting, uh, not so much archery, but this is more of the deer hunting in Pennsylvania. They changed this, the opener. It used to be on a Monday. So guys would come up on a Friday to their, to their camps because Pennsylvania is a big, huge um, tradition state where guys have hunting camps and then they would come up for first day of deer. And they changed the opener from being on a Monday to a Saturday. There's a lot of people complaining. So I think the Game Commission is going to take a vote on changing it back to Monday. Um, you know, guys came from Pittsburgh and they traveled up into the uh, upper uh, counties that don't have as much money. And when they would do that, when the opener was on Monday, they could come up on a Friday, spend all weekend, you know, buying their, their booze, their cigarettes, right. uh, you know, meats, uh, game call stuff, you know, and me being in rural Pennsylvania, cause I moved away from Pittsburgh when I got out of the military, I started my career up here, which is an hour and a half to an hour and 45 minutes North of Pittsburgh. Um, now all my calls are in, you know, these local places. Um, that's where I was getting a lot of my, um, you know, you're getting a lot of the, uh, the monies and stuff like that. And guys are going into local economies. Well, once they did it on Saturday, the guys come up Friday night at dark, come up, shoot the deer. And then that's it. You know, before they used to, you know, sometimes they'd buy a firearm they'd buy their bullets up here. They'd buy, you know, and it was really boost the economy in the Northern counties. Right. Um, and now that, that was a big, uh, big one. But uh, we're also fortunate, though, in Pennsylvania here, we have like a six week bow season. So um, and, and there's there, here's another controversy that we have here in Pennsylvania it was always like um, before it used to be compound bows only. Well, now they passed, <laughs> you know, a crossbow. And these guys, you know, they're, you know, hey, that's a cross gun. You know, that's a, you know, they've also let the, the youth hunt now at a younger age before you couldn't go and hunt until you're 12 years old and you took your hunter safety course and stuff now they have a mentored youth program where you can take the kids out as long as you're accompanied by an adult you know so these guys you know i think my daughter killed her first eight point at like uh i think she was either seven or eight years old you know no oh, um yeah 
Um, I, I can see the good and I can see the bad, but uh, you know, especially with the, like the crossbow, I don't know what your, your thoughts are towards crossbows um, or your general, you know, there's probably a mix in, in the audience that's listening to us right now right. Of, of crossbows. And, and, and here's what I need to say about this. I think until your kids get to a certain age where they can pull a bow back, the compound or the uh, crossbows are good for the kids because they, you can still, if they really are showing interest in the hunting, you can take them out and they can hunt with a crossbow up until they get to learn or comfortable enough with a, with a compound bow. Cause both of my daughters have compound bows now before, when they first started, they were, it was easier for them to, to, you know, to shoot a um, crossbow. Right. I, I know and maybe in, some of them older guys, you know. Yeah. Here, here in Nebraska, archery season starts September and goes through December 31st. So we have a long archery season, but we also have to share it with the nine days for rifle, which starts on a Saturday ends the following the following Sunday. Uh, and then the whole month of December is muzzleloader season. So, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of we we can be out there in the field during rifle, but we got to wear orange like the rifle hunters do. And uh, the only problem is they're in December. Archers are out there in camo, mm. but the muzzleloaders are out there with red, you know, the orange on. And oh uh, boy, you, you know, so it's gonna be a little, little, you know, a little bit more. But you know, we have a lot more open areas here in Nebraska. It's not, you know, solid forest like it is, you know, out there in Pennsylvania. We do have a lot of forested areas, but I know, I know. Uh, uh, a few years back, the Game of Parks decided to use archery. The crossbow is a valid weapon during archery season. Used to be you had to be handicapped where you couldn't draw back a bow and hold it. Um, and then yes. they changed it. They figured Just out like this, here in Pennsylvania. Yeah. You, you, now, now you can use it. And, in, in, you know, my definition of archery is a, as a, a stick with a string flinging another stick. And yes, sir. Does, does a crossbow fit that description? Yep. <laughs> You know, so uh, it's all archery. Uh, you know, it's just it's a little different. And well, here, here, here's my here's my thing too. Um, and and I do, you know, obviously, people wouldn't know my background unless they would like Google search or look it up. Okay, I go into do all these youth field days. Okay, for uh, Pennsylvania has a pretty large. Uh, at one time we had over a million and a half deer hunters. Okay. We have a large youth field days that we have. We have one field field day that I do has 450 kids and I do the Turkey hunting station. So I try to get as many kids into the hunting as possible and, and, and circling back of while I was talking to you about, um, you know, that they allowed the crossbows and stuff. I mean, I, I can see where, you know, we're losing the interest to, Nintendo and all those, you know, Sega games and all those video games right. that those kids would rather play than actually getting them out in the woods and, and, and hunting. So I, I can see, you know, we need to get however way we need to get kids into the hunting because we're starting to become like a dying breed, if you know what I mean. Yeah, there's a lot of kids don't want to spend the time it takes to get good with a, a compound bow. Or even worse yet, you know, a recurve or a longbow, those take a lot more practice because, you know, unless you shoot an Olympic style with a sight on it, you know, I don't shoot recurves uh, with sights. 
you know, I, I pick it up, I instinctively shoot. I don't use arrow as a reference or, you know, I just look at the target and, and shoot. And then I get a compound. Now that I'm looking for my anchor point, I'm looking for the kisser button, the peep and, and all that. Uh, and I can't shoot a compound instinctively. I don't, I don't know why it's just, it's a different weapon. And my mindset is different, just like picking up a pistol or a rifle or shotgun. They're all shot differently. You know, same basic concept, but, you know, point and shoot. Yes. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Um, and it's like learning all over again from changing from going to a gun or going to a bow or back and forth. You know, it's all, it's the same con concept of marksmanship but it's a different right. kind of apparatus is what you're looking through or what you're doing, you know, and the concentration level. But uh, yeah, basically it's all, it's all the same. It's um, like I said, I'm, I'm all in on getting kids into the outdoors and, and, you know, doing what we do uh, conservation. You know, here's another thing I want to touch on was is conservation. All right. Um, I started looking into, last couple of years i mean the nwtf that i that i work closely with and there's another one called tft which is turkeys for tomorrow they're they're really in big into the habitat um you know what's going on with what, what's killing the turkeys you know like pennsylvania the same thing we have the eh uh that that um one where the nymph goes into them and it can kill them we have the chronic wasting disease knocking on our door for the deer herd um I believe a hunter today has to be more more involved than he's ever been. Uh, not only just uh, being a hunter, but you also have to be like a conservationist too. You have to care. Right. You have to care about you know um, not taking too many of your your species, um, helping um, the landowners with. Uh, we have a lot of farms around here. You know they have they plant the soybean and the corn. Um, this year was the first year. Um, with my family's farm that we have here, um, we had some wells, the gas wells that they took out and they ended up plowing them over and made it all smooth. So we had these like one little acre plots in the middle of the woods that we were able to turn into food plots. So we put some, you know, chikara, some clover and, and some brash, you know, the, just little stuff. And I'm here to tell you what a game changer uh, as far as a magnet for bringing in the deer and turkeys into into that segregated area, I mean, I was able to harvest a uh, uh, a turkey this year, and we'll go back into the bow hunting part with the, with a bow this year. I got a a nice nice long beard uh, with a bow this year, um, eleven and a half inch beard, inch and a quarter spurs. So uh, that's that's a trophy in yeah. the uh, turkey world, and all because, you know, the habitat that we're talking about, you know, uh, making it a little bit better for them to come in and, uh, you know, feed and, you know, um, being able to harvest those animals. Because obviously you can't hunt over bait in Pennsylvania. Some states do allow that kind of stuff, but Pennsylvania is one of the, you know, no seed, corn, you know, that kind of stuff can you hunt over bait. But a food plot, if you were to plant corn, is okay to hunt over. Um, and... Or the like, you know, like I said, the clover or whatever. And one thing about the the, the American wild turkey is, is they can eat over 350 different subspecies of grass and plants. And, you know, I mean, they're pretty hard, hardy animals and uh, they're just a survivor. You know, deer, they, they really, 
they can eat a lot of different things, but just not as much as a turkey, you know. Biggest thing for turkey, too, is they need that, uh, they're like a chicken, they need that scratch right. to grind up their food. Um, but I'll tell you, what a game changer putting a, a food plot in and just being able to uh, hunt over it and, and just see how it works. I mean, we were having anything between 10 to 15 deer at a night when we would set up in a blind with my daughter, we would set up in a tree stand over the thing. I mean, it was just, it was amazing, you know, and then the bucks, my number one role with the, with the uh, deer hunting is I always tell my kids where the does are at, your bucks are eventually going to come because rut's going to come in during your bow season and wherever the does are at, your bucks are going to come. They're either going to be bumping them in the butt, sniffing them around or whatever and and falling. So sooner or later, when your doe comes, look behind them usually going to be a buck well guess what if you're in a food plot and you're full of does your bucks are going to come in and and that was we didn't get any shots this year we didn't kill any does or uh, any of the bucks in the food plot this year but we could have you know it's still hard trying to get your kid to not so much mind know how to be quiet but making sure that they're making that right shot making sure that the you know lining everything up you know because the last thing we want to do is is injure an animal, right? Uh, we want to make sure that you know we're we're harvested correctly, and you know it just it sometimes it's it's hard. And my kids play basketball now; they're in middle middle school, so it's hard on the amount of days you get to get out there too. So, but when we did go out, we we saw deer every day in the box, and you know they're grunting, and we're grunting back at them, and. You know, just trying to get them to work out to get a shot just didn't work out this year. But, hey, I always say uh, uh, any day, your worst day in the woods is any day better than being in uh, being in work or school. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> Without a doubt. Yeah. So, but, uh, that That is true. And, and you know, just because you go out and don't don't get anything doesn't mean it's not a good day. You know, it's I've, I've seen some amazing things, you know, as the sun's coming up in the morning. I remember one day, it's been many, many years ago now that I'm sitting in a tree stand. It's it's not shooting time yet. My bow's hanging up on the on a hook I have there. And and I'm watching the sun come up and I'm starting to see the sun come up. I'm see frost forming on everything. And and the sun is just shining through and 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 you know, reflecting off all the branches with the frost on it. And it's like that, that was so cool. And then to drive home, you know, all the evergreen trees along one road was all just frosted over. And like, that was a cool day. <laughs> Didn't say anything, but oh, that. But... <laughs> and here again, you're in the woods, you're with your kids. And yeah. I always uh, related to this quote. She thinks we're, we're just hunting. We're not. We're spending time together. We're sharing. We're, we're talking. You got that one-on-one time. Um, you're talking, you're communicating, and you're just, you're, you're making memories. Um, that's the biggest thing. And the older that I get, the more that I understand it, that, you know, I'm getting closer to that. Uh, I only got a couple more years and I'm going to be at that 50 year, 50 year old mark, you know, <laughs> now, now you're, now you're like looking at life and you're like, mm, you know, how many more well, years, good years do you have left? You know? Yeah. And when you get you into your memories and, you, you know, your, your mid to late sixties, then it, it just, I don't do pheasant hunting anymore because I just don't do the walking, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, so... and, and I've, 
I figure if I'm going to walk for three birds or sit for a big deer, I'm going to sit for the big deer. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like I said, it makes you look at your own mortality. Right. Spending the right time with your kids and eventually grandkids, you know, um, and just getting them out and showing them the sport. And the, the big thing that I stress with my daughters too. Yeah. Hey, would it be nice? It'd be great to go out and kill this big, huge 10 point, but nothing says that you have to kill anything when you go out either. No, just enjoy nature. Just go out and enjoy what God created. Just go. Cares if you don't see anything, or maybe you will see something. You don't get a shot. That's fine. Nobody has to, nobody says that you have to go out and kill something every time you go out. Just go out and enjoy yourself. Maybe you needed that stress relief off of, uh, uh, um, out of your job that you have at that time. Uh, maybe you, you know, you just needed a couple of push away. Even Jesus went into the wilderness. Um, to get away from things and yeah. went out and prayed. That's what I relate a lot of stuff to, you know, just go out and enjoy it. You know, anything's better than being, you know, um, and holding that stress in, you know, and the other thing that I like getting the kids into the outdoor industry, uh, just hunting and fishing. I would rather them do that than be on drugs or alcohol or some other kind of stuff that's out there you know um show the kids a different that that there there is more of a meaning in life now that's more apparent now i think there's so many kids that are misguided anymore i mean uh my generation uh we were worried about what was you know um certain things this new generation they're worried about they're confused on they don't know what bathroom to use you know um (laughs) I don't know. I, I just, like I said, get the kids out there, get them involved in something, make them enjoy it. I know they're not going to see, uh, you know, uh, uh, something every time, but you know, um, maybe, maybe hunting isn't for your kid, but maybe bow shooting is. I got a buddy, his, his daughter, she doesn't like to hunt because she doesn't want to kill anything, but that's cool. They go and, and, kill the heck out of uh, archery targets they go to the 3d shoots and she yeah. absolutely loves it who knows what that could lead into maybe she becomes a really good shooter and she goes out for the olympic team who knows guys the limit right. but at least you went out and did something you know well and, that's and what i always say last week uh i interviewed a, a young lady uh that got into archery and is doing really good so um if you know you listen to this, we go back and listen to last week's uh, podcast. And it's an interesting story talking with her. And you know, you just just get into archery, you know, for various different reasons. You know, maybe maybe you you just want something to do, and you're not good at sports. And you know what? You pick up archery, and you're excellent. Uh, you know, there's a lot of reason to get into it. And one of the things that I found is if you're under stress or you're not you're not feeling good or, you know, you got things going on, you're not going to shoot in archery very well because it forces you to relax. And, you yes. know, that's what lots of times you go in and you're, and you're concentrating, you're focused on one thing, seeing that arrow hit the center of that target and you're only focused on that and nothing else exists. And, you know, that's some of the things, you know, get your focus and, 
you know, it really does help too when you get, uh, uh, you know, some good training and learn how to how to shoot. I know I I went through uh, struggling with all kinds of things, and I know back in the early '90s, uh, this guy's talking about you know back tension release. You know, you're not pulling trigger, and I'm I'm thinking, well, how do you know where it's going to get? You know, where it's where's it going to hit? And then once I learned it, and I was like, oh, now I understand. And and you know, then I started teaching it. You know, I've been an archery instructor since 1995. So I've taught hundreds of people how to shoot, you know. And yeah, you know, that's that's the fun part when you when you see somebody is all of a sudden, you know, they got six inch groups, you know, at your 20 yards. Next thing you know, they're they're putting three arrows touching. And yeah. yeah. I, I do that all the time, you know, so, um, you know, I, I, I do a lot of teaching. And, and one of the things that I have is I have an online coaching program uh, that I offer to, to people. And, you know, I, I actually have a consultation call, 50-minute consultation call that people can get on and see, you know, if coaching might be for you. And, you know, I'll leave a link in the description, you know, how to get to that, that form, you know, for those that are interested in, you know, seeing if they can take their skills to the next level and, you know, I basically teach, you know, archery is 64,000 years old and it's been around for a long time. I don't see it going away anytime soon. Uh, there's big following in it. And, you know, that's just one of those things that it's been around and it's a skill. Once you learn the skill, you know, especially if you start off with a recurve or longbow and, and you need, you need a bow, just grab a stick, put a string on it, grab another stick and, and put a point on it. <laughs> And there's your archery yeah. equipment, well, you know. <laughs> well, 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 and, and you know what? Archery is a lot easier, to be honest with you. Archery is a lot easier to get into a school and start an oh. archery team than it would a rifle team. I mean, if you remember back in high school, there were kids that, you know, they had the rifle teams all over the place. Those are pretty much right. non-existent now, but they still have the archery. They're more adapt to having an archery in a school than they are, a, uh, you know, an actual uh um, you know, firearm. Right. I know when I was in high school, I was, I was on a rifle team, you know, all three years of high school and, and we're shooting 22s, you know, in, in the range downstairs. Yep. And, and yeah, now they pretty much, if they doing it, I think it's like air guns or something. Uh, if they're still doing it, yes. I, I haven't looked I like recently. Yep. Um, yeah, yep. But, you know, archery, there's, you archery is in, you know, middle schools, grade schools, high schools, college, you know, archery is, you know, all over the place. And, you know, those that are, you know, interested in doing something different, you know, it's, it's a team sport, but yet it's more individual because the only one you're really competing against yourself, you know, are you getting better, you know, and that's where, you know, some of your schools have some good, you know, good coaching in there and some don't, uh, you know, you'd have to just check it out and see, you know, and that's where, you know, finding a good coach comes in and, and there's, there's a lot of good coaches out there. And, you know, if you don't like the one that you're, you're with, find a different one. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of oh, them, definitely. you know, you, people are going to connect in. It's like, okay, uh, this person's teaching style. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not feeling it. And you go to somebody else and it's like, oh, they might be telling them exactly the same thing, but it's the same way. It's just the way they tell it. And, and you know, yep. that's one of the things that just gets there. And you've got to spend some time, you know, learning. And the problem I, I seen one time, my son, when he was doing trap, is each person told him to do something a little different. 
So by the time he got done listening to everybody else, he was shooting worse than he did the first time he shot his shotgun. <laughs> yeah, sometimes yeah. it's better to have one good teacher than it is to have 30. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's, that's and, the way it goes. Yeah, that's just, just a chance you got to take sometimes. But um, like a firearms instructor has told me before, boy, I'd like to get to you before you learn any bad habits. You know, that <laughs> that that's another one you know, um, with, with shooting anything. So. Um. Well, and what I've seen is, you know, if you develop a bad habit and, and then you go out, I've seen some of the archery things, you know, they're, they'll post things. How's my form? And they say, well, just shoot more. Um, if you shoot with bad form, you're only going to develop that bad. You're form. always going to shoot with bad form. Yes. Right. And, and I've seen so many people, it's like, I see these videos and even some of the professional ones that do this for a living. I seen one, I forget who it was. His fingers above the trigger, he gets ready to fire and he just slams on the trigger. <laughs> like, uh, okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And this is on video. He's doing the hunting video. And I see, I see this like, um, okay, you need to come to me. I can help you shoot better. So you don't have to do that. <laughs> and, and I do that, you know, and yeah. I, I shoot, you know, I've used back tension when I when I shoot. I have a handheld release that I hunt with. And, you know, I can force it to fire if I want, but, you know, I don't. You know, I've, I've gone through the same shot process I do at, you know, shooting target. And, and I use a, a wrist strap when I uh, uh, get in cold weather because I don't like grabbing mm -hmm. that cold aluminum that's hanging off my D-loop, you know, when it's cold because <laughs> I, I need to have... Oh, yeah. My hand, basically, I have a glove that has the fingers gone, and the the seam between the thumb and index finger is gone. So, so I can mm -hmm. feel the trigger because if I can't feel the trigger, I don't know what's going on. So, I, I do that. And when it gets really cold, then I use when it straps on. I only need my index finger out because I only need need to touch it with my index finger. I can keep the rest of them cold, and I can keep my hand in my pocket too. Uh, you know, with the strap on one or with the either one, you know, the hand release. I keep my hand in my pocket, but. You know, when it's weather like it is now, you know, I'm not sure the temperature is today, but it's cold and windy. And, you know, when you grab something that's freezing and you had your hand in your pocket and it might be a little moisture on it. Next thing you know, your hand freezes to the release. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> or it feels like it does. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, so, definitely. Well, one of the things that I also have is I have the Facebook Archer Talk 101. And in that group, okay. We have people that, you know, you can uh, take a video of yourself shooting, upload it to the video, and one of the instructors will take a look at it, you know, myself with over 25 years. Ah, let's see, that's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, and, and that's something we offer into the group for those getting in the group. Um, you know, I don't allow any uh, links to anything outside just because I don't want it to turn into a place that, you know, everybody's posting, you know, here, buy my t-shirt, do this, do that. And it's like, uh, it's I know all... you, you get that kind of crap. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I got gotcha. you. They, they might get them posted, but they don't stay long because I check them every morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I delete yeah, them. Yeah. And if, and if yeah. I've deleted, and if they post them in three different places, I, I kick them out of the group. <laughs> it's a private group. And that's part of the rules. <laughs> well, yeah. No outside links. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, yeah. if you want to, um, upload a video as long as you're not uploading a YouTube video because we don't know where it takes you outside of there and I want it focused on just you know archery and, and that's that's you know why we 
have it that way so that you know it's a safe place to go talk about you know archery and yeah yeah you know like i tell well, that's what it was only, developed for yeah <laughs> right the only dumb question is the one you didn't ask because once you ask it it's not a dumb question because you didn't know um well so, i always tell her yeah there, there is no stupid questions rather right. you uh uh ask the question then you get out in the field and and the next thing you know uh you make a mistake or or you know you do something really bad that could get you into trouble you know right uh especially like the kids i used to teach the hunter safety um uh, for the kids you know i say listen this is right now is when you ask your questions uh do it now instead of you know you don't you know oh was i allowed to shoot two deer uh <laughs> you know <laughs> uh no uh you know well, that kind depends, of stuff depends on how many tags you have <laughs> and what type <laughs> yeah. of tag you have well it, see in pennsylvania uh, yeah like i said in, in, in pennsylvania uh you may like I'll, I'll use an example of the turkey you may have two tags but you can only shoot one per day oh yeah you can't shoot them both in the same day you know i mean just just stuff like that, you know, or if they don't know, or they have a question about something, you know, hey, I'd rather you ask and find out what the, the bad answer is, you know. Yeah, I know. Or make I a know mistake and get in trouble. Here in Nebraska, if you have tags for, for two deer, you can shoot one and turn and shoot the next one. I've, I've had that. I actually had one time I was in uh, uh, in my tree stand, I hear this deer come walking down on my right. So I turn around and then as I'm at full draw, waiting for it to step out, where I can shoot, I hear another one from behind me coming the other direction. So, oh boy, I, I shoot this one and, and watch where it goes. And then I turn around and here's the other one coming. So I load another arrow, draw back and shoot the other one. So I shot two within just a matter of two minutes. <laughs> then the work starts two to drag out, two oh, to yeah. dress, <laughs> and two to process, you know. But, well, that's when you got to call a buddy. It's called phone a friend. <laughs> yeah. Well, fortunately, I wasn't by myself and I had to drag him out by myself. But still, you know, dragging out two deer, you know, because you shot him. Oh, like, boy. I wasn't going to pass him up. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, I had the tags for him. And I, I, I know one time I had, to, you know, I was in the same tree stand as deers come walking on his path. And I don't know what I did. But I missed, and that arrow hit the tree. It was on the other side of it. It scared it. It run around a circle closer to me. So I said, well, load in that arrow, had a closer shot. <laughs> you know, because it did, my bow going off didn't scare him. It's when the, the arrow hit the tree. And I never did find where the arrow hit. It was stuck in some tree. It's probably still hanging there. <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably well embedded in the tree, because that's probably been, oh, it's been 15 years ago now. Yeah. Well, buddy, I'll tell you what, I got to run today, but I really enjoyed talking today about everything and going over a lot of stuff. I, I wouldn't mind doing this again uh, sometime and talk about actually archery tactics that I use for hunting or maybe oh, that yeah. kind of stuff too that, uh, you know, definitely, you know, teaching people uh, yeah, some other stuff that I know. You know, I do one of these every week, so... I'd be glad to have you back on and, and talk about, you know, tactics. Um, this was kind of interesting on, on talking about calls and and it was interesting that, you know, you talked about, you know, woodworking and, and that's one of my hobbies and making calls is another hobby I have. Uh, yeah, I didn't get well, into Well, and just, like you, you know, did, still. the first introduction. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
like the first introduction of of myself being on here and just you know understanding like where you come from and then you can you know a lot of i think a lot of times when guys get on a podcast people really don't know their level of expertise or where where they've been or how they've done stuff so i some people judge off of your experience you know well well, who's this yahoo why you have him on here like what's he know you know or you know you know how people some people are judgmental in their own minds they're not going to come out and say it or whatever but you know me myself right. i would okay so so what do you know what do you what have you done you know before you're going to try and teach me something what do you know you know or something like that you know if you have like a so-called expert or somebody that you know it's been there for a while you know what is your background you know uh, you're more adapt to listen to somebody that's had a lot more experience or know a lot more about a a, a subject than somebody that just some Joe Schmo off the street, you know? Right. And that's why I call it Arch Talk 101, because that's normally your beginner. You know, when you're, ta- when you're taking classes, 101 is the first class you take. And, you know, I, I kind of focus more towards, you know, beginners and, and helping them get started. And, you know, you know, if I wanted to only talk to experts, then I might call it Arch Talk 901 or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you know, and, and, you know, I just want to deal, you know, with, with the beginners and, and, you know, not just really, you know, that kind of not quite right, but, you know, I focus on beginners, but there's always uh, archers out there that are, um, you know, more advanced and, and we can help teach the, the new ones, you know, new archers, some things to help them through some of their struggles. And, you know, and that's what, uh, um, you know, I'm focused on here, you know, I've got, all kinds of stuff. You know, my first podcast was uh, how to how to look at your first bow. You know, what do you need to know before you go to the bow shop? You know, I started out, it's like, mm-hmm. here's what somebody that's never shot before. What do you need to know? And then it kind of developed exactly. and, and all kinds of stuff. You know, and I've, like I said, I've got, I think this is uh, podcast number 57, you know, and I've been doing this for quite a while now. So um, there's all kinds of information, you know, if, if there, if you got a question on something, it's like, how to correctly set up a tree stand. You know, I did a podcast on that. Um, you know, what kind of first aid stuff you need. Uh, there's there's all kinds of stuff in there. And, you know, if there's a, any questions anybody has, you know, just let me know. And, and you know, I'll research the subject. Well, and you know what? You just touched on something. Yeah. Well, that's something you just touched on there. Uh, just brought back a, a, another great point. You're talking about first aid, what you need maybe to, to take into the stand with you. Uh, right. You know, for first aid, you fall out of a tree. You, the, 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 let's just a numerous thing. Biggest thing was me was uh, I was in the military when my dad had a heart attack first day of deer season in 191997 and I was overseas when it happened. So you know, could if I somebody there had a bare aspirin to give them, you, you know right. what I'm saying? Like knowing that kind of stuff. Um, and and I've been a guide professional guide out west uh for turkey hunting in in uh, uh washington state uh colorado the last seven and other other states that i've done um we take a backpack out there you know you never know you know could a guy get shot could a guy get you never know uh, we got mountain lion i mean if you get attacked by a bear you just you don't know so you have to be prepared right. with that first aid stuff too so i mean i got such a generalized different discussion that we could we could go off into little little <laughs> things but you, you know what i mean like um, right 
but but that's a good point for your listeners to listen to, you know, um, just just stuff like that, you know, first aid, you know, we could I could go off on a tangent about that, you know, <laughs> things that I've experienced, you know what I mean, like hunters right. and you know, um, uh, guy blew out his knee one time. No, I mean, just, just stuff like, you know, uh, that you run into, that you could possibly yeah. run into, make somebody think twice about, you know, um, maybe they need something when they go out into the woods, you know, or just make them think about it. Maybe that saved their life that day. Yeah. And, you know. and I carry, I carry a compass on my backpack. You know, I have a big backpack. It's sometimes it's, I carry too much stuff that I'd rather have it, not need it than need it, not have it. And I remember one time I was going into my tree stand, I had a buddy with me. We had his tree stand set up and I'd walked into my tree stand. I'd just go right to it and all the time. And his was a little bit further deeper in. So we, I took him to his tree stand because he didn't know the area. And so I'm walking up to my tree stand. I said, well, it's right over here. I'll just head right over here. I walked past it. Like, okay, I know the area. I'm too far north of my tree stand. I walked back. Next thing you know, I'm <laughs> way south. And I was yeah. like, now I have no clue where I'm at. And I knew if I headed east, I'd get to, you know, like a service road uh, down there that, that the game of parks use for going back, back field there. So I got out my compass. Okay. Now I know where north is. Okay. Walk right out to the, the trail. Come back to where I cut in. Walk straight to my tree stand. Now I, I knew if I was walking, I was either going to run into the river or run into the road or run into a fence. Because it's kind of fenced in, it's you know it's one of the uh, mm -hmm. gaming parks properties, so it's kind of fenced in, so that um, you kind of know what the property line is. Now they were just normal four foot fence, barbed wire fences, so deer just step over them. <laughs> that you know things like that, you know, carry <laughs> carry water, carry carry all kinds of stuff. You oh know? yeah, definitely. Extra flashlights, I remember, extra knives, yeah, saws. I, 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 I remember my uncle, my dad told me a story one time <clears throat> where we started hunting that. It's called the Quehanna Wildlife Area. It's a million right. and a half acres of forest property. You could be walking for the next six days and it's cold out, oh. you know. Um, you'll be frostbit by the time we figure you out, you know. So. Yeah. But uh, well, definitely I enjoyed today and uh, it, it was awesome talking to you. And I'm, I'm glad you, you called me for the uh, podcast. Um, definitely yeah. glad to be a guest. Appreciate it. Yeah, we'll have to have you back Excellent. on another day. Yeah, definitely sounds great, Roy. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, Sean, I'd like to thank you for being on the on the show. It's it's been amazing. Your your stories are, are really good, and and I think our listeners are gonna uh, really enjoy some of the information that that we give them today. And so, my name is Roy well, Canterbury. Like I said, oh yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say thank you again for, for oh. inviting me on the show. That's all I was going to say. Yeah. So once again, my name is Roy Canterbury. I've been your host today on Archery Talk 101 with uh, Sean Klotsky. And we'll see you next week. Make sure you look in the description below. I have a, a link to the Facebook group. I also have a link to the um, form you fill out for your 15-minute consultation call. I don't charge for that just to see if it's something for you. and that's that's where you can find the information you can always get a hold of me if you have any questions uh i'm available on on the group or in on chat so 
Thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you next week.